3: Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also
0: be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's
4: true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, with amazing guests like Tom Mison, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson... Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Escove. And with me today to talk about Celestial Navigation, a fan favorite, are the Kellers. For the first time, siblings on our podcast. Uh, Clay Keller, co-host of the Screen Drafts Podcast. And uh, Britt Keller, production designer, West Wing enthusiast, and perhaps most importantly, a Keller, is here to talk about the West Wing Celestial Navigation, I want to rewind for a second and ask you both how the West Wing came into your lives. Did you watch it in 99? I'm assuming not, but I'm curious as to when you might have watched it.
5: When we might have watched it? Uh, yeah, I did not watch it in 1999. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right when it started, I, well, I was watching TV. We were both watching TV. TV was on in the household. <laughs> and actually, we were, we were an NBC household. In the Keller house. We watched the NBC local news. Carol Levin in (laughs) Minneapolis, St. Paul. That was our local news channel. And then we watched uh, our mother... Must see TV? Uh, Must see TV? Our our, our mom was a big uh, Mad About You person, big Friends person. Frasier was on uh, before that Cheers. So we were always kind of an NBC house. And then there was some ER going on. But uh, the first time I saw the West Wing was when I was in high school in... um, no, not in high school. It was, I think, wasn't I was in high school. I was, I saw an episode in AP US government, and I thought, Phil, actually, I think I told you this story the the, mm-hmm. the the other day. But I was like, oh, this West Wing, this seems fun. This seems up up my alley. And there it was, it was currently running. I think it was season. Sure. I want to season three is when is when Mark Harmon would have been on. Yeah, or was he season three. two. So three. season three, I watched my first episode. It was. You know, it was back in the day when there was 25 episodes of a show every season, and you would just drop in. Things were episodic. You didn't have to start at the yeah. beginning. So I just – I turned on uh, the West Wing, which actually <laughs> – a lot of tangents on this. Usually was <laughs> usually was unable to watch because it was on Wednesdays for a long time.
1: It and was always on Wednesdays. It was
5: always on Wednesdays, we, and we were, a at that time, we were doing, like, youth group on Wednesday nights. So I was often not home on Wednesdays. What's a youth group? Youth group is, like, Wednesday church. Oh, okay. Wednesday night church, the kids go, and it's kind of like a young, it's like social a hangout thing. church sure. social yeah. social thing. Um, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, Phil, I cannot believe, you guys just did an episode on the Omega Code. I can't believe youth group didn't come up. Yeah, who knew that a, Canadi- a Jewish Canadian wouldn't know what... Uh-
4: <laughs> What Youth Groups is. Uh,
5: so it kept me away from, from the West Wing, but whatever uh, – Youth Group was canceled or they had it – it was a re-airing on a different – something. Anyway, I was well, – I'm watching the West Wing. Great episode. They're going to the opera or or w- w- whatever, and but I'm really locked in and invested in this romantic relationship
4: sure.
5: between Allison Janney and Mark Harmon, I'm like, how'd that work this, out for you, Clay? This is the my this is my favorite part of the show. Uh, I really like this Secret Service character. Yeah, I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm super into Mark Harmon. And then, yeah. of course, spoilers for the West Wing season three, three finale. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Harmon gets killed <laughs> at the end of the episode, <laughs> and I said, "Well, fuck this." Then I'm not, <laughs> I'm not watching this show. My my favorite character is has is is already dead within the space of one episode, um, so I didn't go back to it for a long long time. Then in college, I actually I was I figured this would come up, and I was trying to remember why I got into the West Wing in college, and I genuinely can't remember. But I burned through all of it, and then mm-hmm. it was uh, I went home for Christmas. I think it was junior year. Uh and then Britt and my mom and I watched the first season through and then very quickly Britt surpassed me as the number one West Wing
4: fan in
5: the You're jumping
2: on my storytelling time, yeah. Clay.
4: <laughs> so how did it uh, how did it come into your life, Britt? Uh
2: so my older brother, Clay <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was probably about when he was in college and I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we that's when we started hanging out and being friends. And I would go, when he was home for summers, I would go hang out with my friends until my curfew at 11. And then I would come home and him and his friends would be at our house. And I would then hang out with them for a few hours. And so that's when we started watching a lot of TV together and movies and whatnot. Um, And it was back, I think, yeah, Netflix was still dvds in the Correct. mail it was still um, yeah. mm-hmm. and so he we would he showed us west wing and then i think you know it's that thing where you just try to get all of the dvds i think sure. clay had a blockbuster and a netflix so and i was
1: working at
5: blockbuster at the time yeah
2: so we could get so many cd or dvds in the mail at one time so it was easy we had it we had the system game so that we could binge <laughs> uh <laughs> even just with through this through snail mail This is how – hold on. This is how
5: gamed we had the system. Phil, I don't know if you remember as a Jewish-Canadian, but Blockbuster had uh, a program where you could do the discs in the mail. Then you bring them to Blockbuster and exchange them immediately for an in-person disc, and they mail you another disc. So I had that going two at a time, and and I worked at Blockbuster. (laughs) So I I was – I was getting wow. at any given time, I had seven to ten blockbuster discs rotating through. And yeah, we we uh, d- dedicated a lot of that to the West Wing.
4: So, I mean, earlier before you uh, hopped on Mike, Britt, Clay was saying that he's probably seen the whole thing through maybe two or three times. How many times do you think you've seen the West Wing through?
2: Uh, there's like the real answer and then there's like the answer that's okay to say when it's being recorded um, I like five years ago I did the right. math on how many hours of my life I've spent watching the West Wing Um, not fun math I'm not going to do it again Um, but I have probably seen it through like eight or nine times if awesome. not more awesome. yeah it's kind of one of those where it's it's just such like a comfort. It's like a safety blanket. It's a comfort food. Totally.
4: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that I've definitely watched the first four seasons at least that many times. I'd be lying if I said that I've done five, six, and seven that many times. But, um, yeah, it's it's a very, very comforting show. And I kind of wanted to ask you both about, you know, this is actually the last episode I'm recording of this mini series. It's a little out of order. Um, but this is the last one. So the course of, through the course of all of these episodes, I feel like everyone sort of had their own relationship with this show, obviously. But I feel like that relationship changed a little bit, uh, when Donald Trump became president. I think that, that a lot of people felt like this show was a bomb. It was a really comforting thing to give you hope in politics. And then there's other people that feel as though it gave us a sort of, Uh, an unrealistic, naive perspective of politics and thus made what happened over the Trump administration hurt that much more. And I'm curious as to sort of how the show has evolved for you, if it's changed, how you see it now through a different lens in 2021.
2: Yeah, I definitely hit kind of all of those roller coaster of emotions. I think when, for the first few years of Trump, I couldn't. I like, the thought of watching the West wing was just like, no, it's too like that, like utopia that we wish existed that doesn't really ever exist. Even when we have an administration that we want, Yeah, Um, it was like such a bummer and it was just like (laughs) too hard to like, be like, we're so far from that. But then it, you know, then you just have to go back to it eventually. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's those characters and if it is, you know, the comfort food, it stays the comfort food, even if it is, like, annoying to watch that utopia and know that it's not anywhere near what we want, or at least, like, the people doing their best and trying to be their best.
4: Sure. I I think it also, you know, it's it's interesting because I feel as though for a lot of people – um it's something to strive for. I mean there's a lot of people that feel as though uh trying you know television shows about us being our best. I put that in quotation marks but that idea of like the ideal <clears throat> is something to strive for at the horizon. It's a good thing to have that. It and and whether or not it's completely plausible is moot to me as far as I'm concerned. I mean at least that at least that's how I watch the show.
5: Right. Well I mean, I'm just curious what you know I, this the same thing as, I I didn't Watch any West Wing during the Trump administration, because I thought it would not Hurt. that to make me like annoyed at how naive <laughs> yeah. it was or yeah. something, but because i I you know didn 't want to be reminded of how far away, even if it, it was an unrealistic mm-hmm. vision, how far, far, far away we were from it at that given time and I, mm-hmm. I was worried i wouldn 't be able to just focus on on what, what I loved about the show, but i 'm curious you know that 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 refrain people go back to that you were just explaining Phil that it mm. it it gave us unrealistic expectations and and all of this this crap i'm like okay but like what damage did that do like i don't know did, was the west wing so pervasive that it you know ruined the political minds of a generation like i don't really ever i never really understood what that, was, that is what was inherently evil about having an unrealistic <laughs> portrayal of of the white house every single television show is a rosy uh you know surface level portrayal of the thing that it's portraying yeah I, i'm i'm in full agreement i'm with sure you. sports night I, I is a naive view at uh sure the espn but you know it's that's no one cares I about think that that
4: I think that the the again playing devil's advocate here more, more sort of speaking other people's perspectives on this, it does feel a little bit like um <clears throat> maybe most specifically the Obama administration, which felt like such a seismic moment, understandably so. Uh and and a lot of people being like, We're finally getting our West Wing administration mm-hmm. and then it not Playing out the way that we wanted it to, um, right. I, I think that it's it's a perception thing. I don't I don't necessarily think that The West Wing, you know, uh, rotted the brains of America into thinking that something was possible when it isn't. But I I think that there are people that perhaps just were. Um, Felt like they were somewhat promised a bill of goods, I guess, by certain administrations, and I don't, I don't uh-huh. subscribe to this idea, but it is what some people think. Now, I, I do think that this show also just, and 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 I think specific to this episode, um, found the levity in politics, um, and and found the humor in politics. Um, you know, Aaron Sorkin probably considers himself a comedy writer in some way or another. Uh, an ill-advised thought, perhaps, but it I definitely first. His first show was a half-hour comedy. It, it, it was. Uh, it had a laugh track, and then it didn't. Uh, it was. It. I mean, and then didn't Night, have a
5: laugh track. Kind of again at the end for a few well, episodes. Yeah, yeah. It,
4: like it, it did all sorts of shit. Season like, they three really of Sports Night show. is uh, is, <laughs> is
5: odd. it's
4: a lot. It's 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 a crazy it's a crazy show in its own way. But I, I do think that in in you know this episode specifically. Um, I think is a fan favorite for a bunch of reasons. Um, but I'm curious as to why this was an episode that you guys picked. I gave you a bunch of episodes um, and I was like, which one do you want? And you jumped on Celestial Navigation. Tell me why.
5: Britt, do you want to explain the really intense process that we went through to land on this episode? <laughs>
1: um,
2: I mean, we went through, I think... A little bit of it was Clay trying to remember if he knew what happened in the episodes just by their title alone. Um, that did, played into it. I
5: did not at all. Um,
2: we uh, love when people are out of the office. It doesn't happen a lot. So it's fun to see people in those different settings. And we kind of got a little bit of it in um, this one. This one's fun because and Janney gets to play. Uh, those are some of the hot button loving points of this episode.
5: Yeah, I I always enjoy when uh, the staff members of the Bartlett administration get to go out into the countryside and condescend <laughs> to the yokels. Um, so you love the season about, four premiere
2: yeah, when they're stuck yeah. out at that. Oh,
5: absolutely. Yeah. Oh, with Amy. No, Amy Adams is, is she in that episode? She's at the yeah. beginning. She's mm-hmm. not one yeah. of the 20 people, hours
2: in America. She's not one of the
5: people America, by the bridge. She's like in the first part of the episode.
4: She's not one of the people by the bridge. That's uh, what's-his-face from Newsroom.
5: Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh so it was everything Britt said, and then also Britt and I were on a cross country road trip and uh I kept going, Phil keeps texting me, we have to pick an episode.
4: <laughs> that feels right. That tracks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So
5: we landed on uh on on celestial navigation. Um, for and the I'm record, sure, I'm glad uh, did. it was, yeah, I'm it glad was, was because
4: I was, you know, trying to schedule other people into oh, their yeah. episodes. Absolutely. It wasn't just because I wanted mm. to be at an annoyance on your, on your road <laughs> trip, but, but it is appropriate that you're on a road trip and pick this episode. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to read a very brief synopsis. Uh, Sam and Toby are dispatched to Connecticut for some damage control to secure the secret release of President Bartlett's choice for the Supreme Court. Uh, who has been jailed for alleged drunk driving and resisting arrest. Meanwhile, Josh, a guest lecturer at a college class to talk about working for the president, recounts the previous week's flare-ups, with which include his feeble attempt to fill in as the White House spokesperson at a press conference uh, where he promises the president has a secret plan-, plan to fight inflation and the media glare that engulfs the African-American HUD secretary who publicly uh, labeled a prominent Republican as a racist. Celestial Navigation aired on January 26, 2000, story by D.D. Myers and Lawrence O'Donnell, teleplay by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Chris Miziano. Thirteen point four eight million viewers tuned in to this episode. Uh it's it's um So Aaron Sorkin has a quote here. He says, On Celestial Navigation, I just knew one way or another I was putting cotton balls in Alison Janney's mouth. The whole episode evolved out of a prank on her, but really because I have such respect for her as a comedian. Uh, Which I think is uh, is pretty amazing. Uh, And also not surprising in the least that something as small as that could turn into this episode. But um, I kind of want to... We'll go at sort of each individual um, storyline. But before we do that, I want to ask you guys your thoughts on um the the format of this episode and by that i mean a fractured narrative which seems to be a hot button issue on twitter of late in terms of the idea of starting in one place rewinding and then sort of finding your way back uh, personally speaking, it doesn't bother me as much as it seems to bother other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it also doesn't surprise me that Aaron Sorkin likes it because it creates tension, sort of a temporal tension between what's happening and 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 what's about to happen. Um, but do you have thoughts on this uh, this narrative structure?
2: Uh, I loved it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, especially in especially with this episode, it doesn't really even feel like it's a. Choice because the whole format is that Josh is telling a story, um, so it really is just like so obvious about what's happening, right. and The West right. Wing does it a lot with a lot of, you know, seventy-two hours earlier yes. and whatnot. So even in this episode, it doesn't—you don't even notice it. Um, but in general, I love—I don't know—I
1: love it.
5: Yeah, Josh and uh, J- Josh in particular has a couple of great uh, episodes that follow this this format. I, I, in an, on an episodic level, I have yeah. absolutely no problem with it. I. I occasionally get annoyed when a show will do it on a show-slash-season level, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as I've ranted to you before, Phil, uh, when you do that, you occasionally get uh, storytelling kicked yes. down the road like so many yes. tin cans, and then it, it, it mm-hmm. just ends up seeming like they just are not deciding not to do anything until the last episode, because they've all got some big twist or something. So I... I yeah. That will start to bother me on an episodic level uh, in a show like this. No, it's, I think it's – I, I yeah, enjoy I, the way I, it's done here.
4: I, I tend to agree. I know that there are people that – you know the, the, the two shows right now that feel as though they're kind of the, the lightning rod for this is Physical, which is on Apple, the Rose Byrne show, which sort of starts in one place, does a fast-forward, and then – uh, some people might argue is is treading water in some capacity or another yeah. in order to get to sort of the finale and then uh a white lotus which has a body drop at the top of the of the show but it's not really a body drop in the same way like it's not a murder necessarily like it's so it, it feels like it's almost deconstructing this notion but all that being said i agree with what you're saying brit that like it's a storytelling device like a literal storytelling device in the sense that josh is at this school uh as i mentioned um and he's uh and he's Sort of regaling the the students with the the week's events. So to your point, it feels a lot more organic. So it doesn't it didn't it didn't bum me either. But Dee um, Dee Myers was interviewed. I have this quote from her. Dee uh, Dee Myers had um, such problems in the and she was in the she was the uh, press secretary for the Clinton administration, um, and she talked about how this show was sort of an opportunity for her to kind of get revenge <laughs> on. Uh, sort of the people, I imagine that for her, it was being a press secretary is not a fun job. It doesn't seem like a fun job. It seems actually like a pretty terrible job, quite honestly. And I think that for her, it was fun to be able to use CJ as an opportunity to be able to sort of be the best version of what you could have been when you were doing it, which I think must've been a lot of fun. Um, and, and I also just sort of um, want to just jump into the CJ storyline real quick here because it's the... I would argue it's the funniest part of the episode. Um, she needs to go to the dentist and has been putting off going to the dentist. Um, and then she uh, goes to the dentist. She gets root canal um, and uh, can't do the do the press conference. So Josh decides that he's going to do it. Um, there's something amazing about his first life. <laughs> is um are you sure you want your one question to be that stupid like that's literally the first thing that he says to the first reporter and it obviously spirals from there um what did you guys think about because i actually think that arrogant josh like is the funniest but also the the most sort of intolerable when he's not being funny does that make sense
5: do you know sort of what i'm getting at yes you mean when he's being arrogant but the
4: writing is not funny correct when Josh is just being like a blowhard, I'm just like Josh, shut the fuck up. But then when he's being funny, like overtly right. funny, I think it's really. I mean, I don't know what you
5: think. I look, I, I I uh love, and actually, this kind of expands to to every character in this episode. Is you really get a good distillation of all of their sort of core yes. characteristics yes. in this show, uh, and uh, except for Alice and Jan, well, I mean, C C J gets to do the. The physical comedy, which which we which we'll, we'll we'll get to, which is one of her great strengths on this show. But yeah, watching Josh and then using that, this one's less intolerable to your point, Phil, because it has this structure that it has where we are seeing him being hubristic and uh, saying, "I got this." Danny tries to stop him, and he's like, <laughs> mm, "I have a I have." He does a classic Aaron Sorkin and lists his qualifications. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then he, yeah, he gets up there being a real, real piece of shit, but juxtaposing that with him sheepishly recounting this story later and like, yeah, I really fucked this up. Although at the same time when he's telling the story to the college yeah. kids, he is just – work in the room he is just yeah. eating up that affection he is Ugh. just you get you get you get the full josh in this episode
2: <sighs> yeah that's what i was gonna say is that we get two different versions of arrogant josh like as we learn about josh through the, through the entire series is that like his big issue is trying to prove that he belongs there and that he's smart and that's what he's trying to do in the press room is that he's trying to prove to everybody that he can do it and that he's the smartest one and that <laughs> it's all gonna be fine Mm-hmm. but it comes off as him being a total dick to everybody. And then, you know, as he's telling the story, that's him with the public, which is a different Josh than totally. with his peers. In the public, he's, like, the hot one that, you know, the girls that, the like, the young that, coeds are into. So that's, like, him yeah. telling the story, and so he's, like, trying to come off as, like, sweet and charming, which, again, is in his arrogance, and he knows that, and we see that. Totally. Um, but it is, again, it's yeah. also... You know, it's Josh Lyman. So it's all the good. smile,
5: the little smile. Hey, he, this is uh, uh Uh. Whitford is such a good actor. the The little smile he has when he gets the cell phone call, yeah. and he has to go. And he's being like, "Oh, sorry, I have to take." Sorry, this. I'm the so little, like, cool. I have oh, I'm, to say, <laughs> I'm important. Hold on,
4: hold on a moment. Like, I just, it's so good. He's so good. Also, like, can we talk about how? Uh, Bradley Whitford could not be man-spreading any harm. Oh I God. noticed How that. He sitting? He's so He's, comfortable. The
2: soles of his feet are together turn, and yeah, his knees in. are out. <laughs> Insane. It's the it, best. It is
4: insane and it feels like it personifies perfectly what he's radiating on that stage but it's just like oh my god yeah uh so um the the episode essentially opens uh with josh on the stage being introduced uh he's on the phone he's talking to sam sam's telling him that mendoza has been arrested uh he asked what he's been arrested for he said he was arrested for driving while being hispanic um and Sam tells CJ and Toby that Mendoza's in jail in Wesley, Connecticut. Um, and you sort of basically in sort of a classic Sorkin teaser cold open structure, he lays out all your storylines basically before the credits hit so that you at yeah. least know sort of what where each person is headed. Um and we realize obviously CJ has this sentence appointment. Sam has this amazing line. Your teeth are the best friends you've got. You can- you take care of them, they'll take care of you. When did you start talking like this? I'm nuts for dental hygiene. It's just, and this speaks he, what you're talking Chris about. He was Chris Traeger, he's, he's been was... Chris Traeger the entire time. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> but it's also like, it's exactly what you were saying, Clay, of, of like everybody is, is dialed up to 11 a little bit. Like Sam's the most Sam, Toby's the most Toby, Josh is the most Josh, which is I think why fans love this episode as much as they do, because it's just the most kind of heightened version of everybody. We'll get to Sam actually using Celestial Navigation, as which feels like the most Sam thing to do as well. But uh, we then meet um, HUD Secretary Deborah O'Leary, played by uh, CCH Pounder, who was on a talk show and essentially kind of in a pretty... She called a Republican a racist in a way that was sort of... I don't know. Not particularly articulate, just sort of like whatever. Um, and... Uh, Basically, Bartlett is asked by Danny at a press conference about O'Leary, and then Bartlett says that she should apologize, and it creates a whole sort of to-do because there wasn't a press secretary there to basically usher Bartlett off of the stage faster. Um, And, uh, yes. So now we have Sam and Toby lost trying to find the police station that Mendoza is being held at, a police station that is clearly a Post facility on the Warner Brothers. I was going to say, yeah, that building looks of. familiar. <laughs> it's just like we'll put a sign here; it'll say police station, and we'll, everyone will buy it, which is just amazing. Um, I, I want to ask about this O'Leary storyline because I think it's it's sort of, um, I mean, it, it, it's kind of dispensed with pretty quickly. Like it's it's pretty much done by the end of like the second act. Um, and CCH Pounder is such a tremendous actor, and kind of wish that we got to see O'Leary again. Um, But I just, it does kind of suck that she needs to apologize. Like, I I think it's it's unfortunate that an African-American woman, African-American female character is sort of, you know, put in this box. But I'm curious as to what you guys think.
2: Yeah, I mean, this episode, that's not the only time in this episode where it's a group of white men telling somebody who is non-white that they shouldn't, uh, you know, confront the racism that they're being confronted with. Yeah, um, yeah
4: it's not, So It's,
2: it's, a, it's interesting that, there's, that they double up on that yeah. in this episode. Yes. Um, and especially now, so many years later, it's we have such a different perspective on Correct. that. So I don't know, there's kind of a lot to unfold there. And yet it is a bummer that it just kind of, they kind of dissipate it by like being like, don't think about what this character is having to do because we're making the joke that like Bartlett just thought that her joke was bad. Like they're trying to like yeah. kind of wrap it up in that little, like we're on your side, but we're not gonna right. say that publicly, which is the problem.
5: And it's the whole mission statement of Aaron Sorkin's uh, moderate Democrat Clinton era thing, which is the part one of the parts that looks particularly naive today is that, uh, you know, yes, this is an indignity. Yes, this is wrong, but we have to play the game because the only way to affect change is by doing baby steps and, you know, get convincing people to be on our side and kind of sneaking in un- under the radar kind of thing and that is that is that is the o'leary thing that is the mendoza thing at the end of the episode as Bert was referring to like that is that comes up a lot in the west wing is the idea Mm -hmm. that republicans can be reasoned with and that both sides are playing fair in the game of washington and there's the way to do things and we can we can do it without ruffling any feathers and that, yes. especially in the Trump years now, has been so blown up and exposed as phony that that is really the fanta- one of the, the fantastical things that people don't really like anymore about the show. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, think it's safe particularly to say that that here. It's it's a it's a, a stark example of that.
4: I, I imagine that Joe Manchin's a big fan of The West Wing. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Um, I, I do think that uh, I agree with you, obviously, a hundred percent. That that. Um, and, and that's actually an interesting, you know, Sorkin's political, he's not even, like, every time we're in a in a election season, someone decides to poke Aaron Sorkin and ask him his thoughts on this because he wrote a show about politics. He's not a particularly political animal when all, when things are, He's he like, he's a classic boomer, right? Like he's a guy who in the sixties was like, we got to dismantle the system. And now he's like, all right, everybody like, let's all just relax a little bit. And like, let's find the middle ground, right. um, which is sort of ironic. You know, he makes Chicago seven, which is, you know, the most boomer movie in terms of, you know, just sort of highlighting this, this moment and then not seeing how it actually really correlates to the political world that we live in today. Um, but, but to your point, or, or more specifically to, to these two storylines when it comes to diversity, um, it, it just, it, it, it just rings of 1999. It just feels of, of, of just of a different time. Um, and I'm not sort of sweeping that under the rug by any means, but it does feel like, it's not necessarily as um, they're just not willing to go there. They just don't really dig deep, and they just unfortunately yeah. uh, there's a lot of a white savior component to to this to these two storylines. Anyway, well, that's but, a problem
5: you set yourself up for when well, your entire primary cast is white, and then you want to fill in guest roles yes. with people of color, well, think, and then yes. you have created a situation where it's impossible for it not to take yes. on that dynamic. Sure.
2: Yeah. Well, and there's, I mean, throughout the entire series, there's so much of that where they're like, we're, you know, on the liberal end of things, but it's still like quite sexist and all these things. But then there's like little nods of like, yeah, but we, you know, give women this thing. And they're like, but yeah, not really. It's just like a little bit of that of trying to, again, it's the boomer thing of being like, yeah, no, we feel that way. But do we really (laughs) like when it comes down to it?
4: It's it. It makes me often I, as I watch this show. I've often been thinking about the sort of the road not taken, and I'm sure you guys know about the various casting that almost happened. But one of the people that um, that they tried to cast or almost cast as Bartlett was Sydney Poitier. Right. And 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 there's a part of me that wonders what the show is like with that. Right. Like what is it? Um, it just it would it would have had such a significant difference. Right. It just it would have it would have really uh, been different.
2: Well. And I mean, that's interesting, too, thinking of how initially Bartlett wasn't even supposed to be Correct. a main yeah. character of that. If that was the initial thought, again, right. that is even more of that, like, oh, no, but we cast a black person. But initially, yeah. but they weren't even supposed <laughs> that wasn't a, recu- a recurring yeah, yeah. role. Like, yeah, you know, yeah,
4: yeah. so no, it totally, totally. It's, it's another
2: example of that, like, we got yep. ya, but not really.
4: Well, it's, you know, as as I'm sure, Britt, you know, um, you know he got sorkin got hit pretty hard at the tcas when this pilot dropped um and by this specific thing why is this cast so white why is there no one and and charlie is is a reaction to that i love charlie's character um but but it does not really deal with the problem right like charlie's character is you know i i can only assume um the last one that, that sort of gets storylines. Everyone else gets storylines before him. Um, and I love Dulé Hill's performance. I think he's tremendous and I wish they gave Charlie more to do, but it does feel a little bit like this retroactive attempt to try to deal with something as opposed to really dealing with it. But um, so uh, at this point, Alison Janney or more specifically CJ gets root canal. Uh, I love Josh getting her to say foggy bottom. Um, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's, I, I'm not even going to try to do Allison Janney's uh, accent, if that's the right word for when she has root canal, but it is comedy gold. Um, we then are uh, at the the. Danny asks about um, the president's plan to fight inflation. Josh says, "Yeah, Danny, we have a secret plan to fight inflation." Um, is just great. It's just it's it's just watching. Watching Josh get taken down by this press corps is just a delight because of how arrogant he is. Obviously, um, we then cut back to Josh at the school, and some college girl goes up to him and says, "You're great." She's like, "What is this? Like, there's this this <laughs> this ridiculous perception <laughs> that that the deputy uh, chief of staff would be like hot to young college girls is just absurd." And but I'll, I mean, Brit as. I want to hear Britt's thoughts. Oh, as Brit's one hundred percent in this- love with Josh Lyman, but it
5: must have <laughs> it must have rankled it must have rankled Rob Lowe so much. Of course, that fucking oh, Bradley yeah. Whitford with his receding hairline is is emerges as the hot guy of the show, and he's playing this like doofus character.
2: It's great. So- I will say, as yeah. I was in college when I first came to the show, and I'm. <laughs> pretty sure that I have had a very consistent crush on Josh Lyman. I don't think it's grown as I've grown older. I think it's always been there. He, I don't know what Bradley Whitford does, but it just works very well on uh, me as a straight woman. <laughs> it should,
4: it should, it should be said uh, that uh, before we got on Mike, Clay said that I should, <laughs> that I should have introduced you as the creator of lemon com. So, I-, I mean, was he your, your crush on this of this cast, more so than Roblo?
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Roblo doesn't do it for me. Interesting. Okay. All right.
4: Fair enough. Uh so arrogance is uh, <laughs> seems to be an aphrodisiac for you when it comes to okay good time. Uh I, I'm I'm curious about the sort of this also kind of feeds into the Sorkin idea of like super smart people are really sexy to women. Like I think he likes to perpetuate this idea. Um, And and you see it in Studio 60 as well. The idea that, like, the showrunners of SNL would have people asking for their autographs is, quite frankly, laughable. Um, I I just, you know, he has this weird perception of this stuff.
5: Especially, like, young guys who, I mean, Lauren Michaels, the historical real-life precedent for that type of thing, is extremely famous. And people probably would ask him for his autograph.
2: I will say, I don't so? know what Lorne Michaels looks there like. There it is. But, <laughs> but people who
5: are big fans of Saturday Night Live certainly know who Lorne Michaels is. Do those sure.
4: people wait outside the doors? And, uh, Phil? Like,
5: are you saying that there are not fans of SNL who wait outside the doors and might ask Lorne Michaels for his autograph? Because I think
4: probably 100% I don't, there is. I, don't, that, I that, that seems okay. I, I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, it seems a little silly to me, but I, I hear you. Oh, fandom is fandom. Look, and, and a- that's, a- everything that's in Studio 60 is silly. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so at this point, uh, Toby is on the cell phone with Josh in the car. Sam is driving. Um, <laughs> he thought he was following Celestial Navigation and thought he was following the North Star, but it turned out that it was the Delta Shuttle from LaGuardia. Um, and it's just, it's just great. Toby being... It's the most sort of grumpy Toby of just being like, please just get me where we need to go. Why am I not driving? Like just, just all of that energy. Um, they get to the police station. Sam's first line is, I think if we stayed on the mayor parkway, we wouldn't have ended up on the, in Bridgepoint so many times is <laughs> fucking incredible. So many times is the key to that.
5: <laughs> and he again, and this and Roblo sells it so so well i mean yeah, this is a very very funny episode and then but then this is also yeah toby's being a major grump this is as you said a dialed up to 11 toby i want to see a bottle episode and yes. maybe there was one that i forget where it is just him and sam stuck in the car the entire time because yeah. their being, banter there their is
1: buddy fantastic is the yeah best.
5: their it's buddy the thing best. is the best their planes trains and automobiles thing is fantastic yes. Yes. and then this is this and then like we get to see the full Sam. He's the total silly like idiot and then he walks into the police station and turns on like uh, excuse me I work for the president and blah blah and like totally like gives it to this guy. And that is his whole thing is he disarms you by being the like uh, you know mm-hmm. um absent-minded professor and then he turns it on you and locks in and you're like oh shit. And that's Yeah, we, I mean he's a Merrill
2: Lynch lawyer. Like he's <laughs> he's, yes, yes. he's law man. Like he, for sh- like and that, like ticks in as being yeah. just like, you mm-hmm. know, he gets shit done.
4: I, I, so I did a little reading up on this episode and, and, and there are a fair amount of people that push back on some of the things that happen in this episode from a storytelling perspective. And one of them is the coincidence of the cops having a paper that just happens to have Toby on the front <laughs> page of it. Um,
2: i mean i think it's television is, have
4: these people never watched
2: television before it's television Christ. but also they they use that again in yeah. what in 20 hours in america where they're just like on the tv as they're talking to a yeah. person i yeah. mean what it doesn't bug me because whatever it it's funny it's whatever yeah. Um, yeah but and again too like why would they be on the cover of the newspaper like they're staff like they're not to us they're famous because they're on the west wing but like that role is not a person who would be on the cover of a newspaper or on front page yeah Um, no the communications
4: director would go out of his way not to be on the cover of the paper yeah
2: that especially toby
4: yeah exactly that is what doesn't make sense (laughs) is that toby is like standing behind
5: bartlett looking over his shoulder toby would be hiding yeah
4: yeah, no, for sure. Um, so then we have, we have Donna rushing to Josh's side post, breathing, saying, Oh my God, Josh oh my God, Josh! this is so bad this is so bad he's got like flop sweat it only, he almost looks like albert brooks in uh, in broadcast news where he's just like just sweating and looks like a crazy person oh, I, I love
2: yeah. that they like cut back to the tight shot and somebody was like oh let's it's, spray a bunch of sweat on his face oh, they, it just like immediately him up shows up it's like <laughs> yeah. somebody was just like oh this great. will be funny so great
4: totally um so uh Then we find out that Mendoza told the press that Bartlett was wrong to make O'Leary apologize, which is correct, which is accurate. Um, And then uh, Josh explains to the audience that Mendoza was very outspoken. Toby speaks with Mendoza in the jail cell. And this is what you were talking about earlier, Brit, about. um
3: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
4: Toby essentially saying to Mendoza, do you want to get on the Supreme Court? If you want to get on the Supreme Court, you got to eat crow and you've got to deal with this and we've we've got to put this to bed. If you want to fight this fight, which... On some level, I think he does respect the fight. Like, I don't think that Toby is saying that what Mendoza believes oh, in is not worth this, believing That's Toby's – yeah. that's
5: Toby's colonel. Yeah. That's his yeah. entire yeah. Yeah. thing yeah. Yeah. is yeah. he yeah. is the most fiery, fervent liberal yeah. in the entire administration, and then he yeah. is always the one who has to – convince other people to play the game like he is the number one operator and suppressing his he's the boomer you were talking about he's the guy (laughs) who was marching in the 60s uh and now that's why he's always so grumpy is because he is (laughs) he is at conflict with himself at all times and i think on some level resents what he's become
2: his sisters took him to the marches when he they took him out of yeah. elementary school yeah. so that yeah. he could march in those marches.
4: See, that's it's funny you say that because I do think that of all the voices on the show, I think Toby's the most Sorkin. Oh, he's the yeah, writer. He's Sorkin. I mean, yeah. he's he's like that feels the most Sorkin esque, which is why it's just so frustrating to see where we are now and that he's still anyway doesn't matter uh the green lighting in the jail cell i thought the lighting in that cell was really interesting like i do think that this show is very cinematic really beautifully shot it doesn't get enough credit for um i think really pushing the ball down the field become in terms of like television becoming a lot more cinematic a lot more filmic in the way that it's shot i mean it's very robert richardson with its hot lighting and all that sort of stuff but it still just yeah. fe- it doesn't feel like a television Did show Did robert richardson shoot this no, but oh, he shot oh, oh. the American President, and I right, think right, right, that right. that there's definitely some yeah. some
5: well, that was uh, all phil that 's all i mean you 've been doing the e r series too that was whole nbc 's whole yes. thing at this time. They were the first broadcast network to start mm-hmm. per, doing shows in sixteen by nine. Yes. And I remember that vividly when that happened. When ER mm-hmm. started doing it, and then The yeah. West Wing did it, and I mm-hmm. they may have had some other drama, maybe Law Order sure did. did it. I don't remember, but I'm sure Third Watch and it, their other shows. It stood out so much, and it just felt it. You looked at, at an episode of of ER, and then just something that was happening concurrently on ABC or CBS, and it looked like movies versus
4: television. Well, it's 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 interesting you bring that up because there's there's two things. The first is uh, a lot of steady cam work, a lot of long. You know, walk and talks. That's one of the main things of this show, but ER kind of did it first. I mean, they had a lot of steady cam work going on in that show as well. But then Britt, in terms of the, the production design, it's, you know, ER was the first set to have a ceiling. Um, it was the first set because they knew that they were going to see the ceiling from time to time. And they, so it literally, and I, I don't know if the West Wing had the same thing, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on sort of, the production design of this show. I mean, it's a lot of glass. It's a lot of being able to see things through things and what have you. But it's it's a really warm, inviting environment. But I'm sort of curious what you
3: think.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that it's really warm. It definitely, like, they build the office out to feel like it is their home. And, you know, with how we see all of the walk and talks, it's like, you you know exactly how this space is set up. Like, they really... Yeah give it that full three sixty degrees like lived in feel. Um and again it is interesting once they then hop out, they start they you know hop out of that
1: mm-hmm.
2: you can really see the difference there and what happens and with like, you know, yeah. they get the again station. they get to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. or not. If they just wanna, <laughs> you know, yes. they just wanna pass by that. Right. But um they, No, it was great. And I mean like one thing i don 't know it has such great details too, with like mm-hmm. CJ and her fish and like that th- that yeah, it's like so good, so good. things like that, those details that play so much when they 're not you know throughout the entire series it 's great
5: yeah they can't that 's a good point, but they can 't uh, s- suddenly have a dramatic scene in toby 's office with a stark green light because the audience would be like
4: <laughs> what 's happening Wait a
5: minute yeah. <laughs> alien <laughs> there 's not usually a dramatic green light in that room. Where the fuck did that yeah. come from?
4: It's it's interesting too, you know, I was thinking, Brit, as you were talking about sort of the the extent that the stages had to be in order to get these walk and talks, right? Like he wants, and by he I mean Sorkin uh, and Tommy Shlamy, want sort of these long sort of circuitous pathways. And generally speaking, your stages don't do that, right? Like you usually have a couple rooms that abut up against each other, but this is like... There's a lot, like I'm in my brain, just thinking about what stuff walks into what, and it's it's really extensive.
2: Oh yeah, there's so much into mapping all of that out that is so detailed and meticulous that works so well. And there's not like I don't know, it does it works so well. There's very often there's rarely times where you're like, oh, how did they get there? Like it just it moves yeah. so well.
4: Yeah, they I s- totally totally agree.
5: they establish the space really really well. And I, I I I have to imagine with stuff like The West Wing. Stuff like ER, and actually, uh, um, uh, when I was a PA briefly on Mad Men, the the Sterling Cooper Draper sure. Price office was like this as well, where it, with the contiguous set, we I think it helps the actors. It helps oh, totally. make you feel like you're you're really there because you would walk up mm-hmm. on that on that set, and I assume The West Wing was the same way, and you could forget that you were on a sound stage. You could just feel mm-hmm. like you are there in in the space. And uh, I have to imagine uh, that, that, that that played into why these characters also feel so natural, feel so at home, you know, the movement uh, becomes uh, so ingrained as like almost part of their personalities, because they have this, this space where they feel like they're really living there.
4: Well, sure, and it 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 speaks to to just production design in general. I mean, I've been on shows where you walk onto a stage or you walk into a room, and the detail is is so impressive that it does. You're just like, this feels like a lived in space. This feels like a and and. If you don't have that, I can't imagine how much harder it is as an actor to get yourself into this headspace of like, this is really happening. Um, right. And it's why I think people don't give enough credit to it. But it's also why people, when you see bad production design, it takes you out of stuff. Um, it's just it's it's so incredibly important to, to, to selling you on all of it. Um, so we do get a really great. Uh, fun bit with charlie and bartlett in this episode as well where uh charlie calls the president for a wake-up call and and the president is very tired and and unsure as to what's going on and charlie says sir i need you to dig in now which is fantastic Um, but then when he goes up to the to the residence bartlett still isn't awake yet uh so he goes into the bedroom he wakes him up and and bartlett grabs his hand like like Kind of like angrily, um, and then Bartlett says, "Charlie, have you slept yet?" Charlie says, "No, sir." And Bartlett says, "Good." Um, it, it's I do love this father-son power dynamic that exists. Like, the, kind of the only power that Charlie has over the president is is his schedule, right? And 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 being able to sort of corral him. And I love how this show embraces those moments and lets Charlie um, get to get to sort of you know smack him around a little bit. It's fun.
5: Yeah, that relationship um, is so fun and again, we get the full the full range of what Martin Sheen can do almost in this episode as well. We we you know, we you you don't get, you know, like a Two Cathedrals type moment, but you get him <laughs> He doesn't scream at God in this episode. He only does that in the one in Latin. (laughs) In Latin, but he, but he, he, he has his controlling the room president scene, and then he has his being the kind of petulant, silly Sheen can play this comedy. Everyone on this cast, this is why I love the show. Is it kind of is uh, most of the time a dramedy, but like Sheen plays the comedy so adeptly and can play like a petulant little 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 kid. I, I, I've always wondered about this with the. The possible Sidney Poitier casting is like Poitier certainly can command a room and yes. exudes gravitas, but I, I, I mean, maybe he just never had the opportunity in his career to also show that other more comedic. Sneakers
4: is the only thing that comes to mind. But yeah. I agree with you. He never really did a ton of comedy. Britt, did you, you sound look like you were gonna say something?
2: Oh, I was just gonna, you know, jump off of that with I. yes, Martin Sheen can command a room and yell at God, but it is to me it's so much more interesting when he shows up and he's in a t shirt or yeah. in a sweatshirt, yes. like that's yes. when you know it's gonna be good. That's like when <laughs> yes. the like folksy thing comes out and when mm-hmm. he is just like a dorky dad. Yes. Like he's such a dorky dad to everybody that works for him. And then, you know, to Leo, he's a brother. Like, it's just that like family thing comes out when totally. he isn't in his suit. Um, and you get a little bit of that. And it's just yeah. like, yeah.
4: Yeah. You know, it's, if he's, if he's wearing a Georgetown uh, or sorry, a Notre Dame uh, sweatshirt or anything along those lines, you know, that, that you've got some good stuff coming, especially if he's taken his back meds. Um, <laughs> that's also uh, good stuff too. I, um, so uh The Toby Mendoza stuff really is kind of the end of the episode where Toby is talking about, asked Mendoza why he refused to take the breathalyzer. Mendoza says that it was, it wasn't just cause, it was an illegal search. Um, And, and essentially, as I said earlier, Toby says to him, if you want to be a Supreme Court justice, you have to, you've got to play ball under these circumstances. Um, He explains that it, obviously the situation stinks and what have you. Um, I don't know that Toby could make all of this go away. Like there's a little bit of like magic going on at the end of this episode where he's just like, it's like he's got that men in black thing and he's able to like zap the cops and make them forget that any of this happened. Um, but that's television. And,
5: that's tel- I, and I I chalk that up to more. There's some stuff we didn't see with, they, sure, he says like sure. the governor's on the phone or something. So I feel like right. there's some, there's something going on, some, yeah. something yeah, going when on Toby's, off camera.
2: When Toby's talking to Mendoza, Sam is doing the paperwork.
5: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sure. We. Yeah. Sam is just dressing down the two sheriffs off-screen.
4: The episode ends as it began with us back uh, with Josh in front of the students, and um, he says, "You know, you should call me back. I'll tell you what happened because you obviously can't loop them in on what's happened with Mendoza." I do kind of wish we got another Josh in front of. This in front of this class or it it would just would have been nice to kind of I don't need to see him obviously tell us what happened or what we saw with Mendoza but it just would have been nice to see him in a circumstance like that again I know that it only happened the one time but um, it would have been nice Um, so I've been asking all of my guests at the ends of these episodes what their favorite episodes of the West Wing are Um, now (laughs) Clay's face, Clay's eyebrows just went because Clay doesn't know the episode titles of this show as well as perhaps Britt does. Um, Britt, I'm going to ask you first. Then, uh, what what are some of your favorite episodes?
2: Okay, I also don't know the episode titles, but um, okay, that's
4: fine.
2: I love. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many.
5: Yeah, the thing no, is, there's a lot, lot of many, episodes in this like, show, and they're really all they're all good.
2: I, I
4: wanna just fully admit that I fucked up here, which is that every other guest I in the email said, I'm also gonna ask you for some of your favorite episodes. Uh-huh. So there was a they were given time to, to think about this. So I just wanna say uh-huh. to our listeners that I blindsided both of my guests with this question. <laughs> so that's that's what that is.
2: I uh. Now it's like I'm trying to even like pull out favorite moments rather okay. than okay okay yeah
4: we could do that too episodes for sure.
2: just how about this are, are, there, are there are there
4: do you have favorite characters are, is uh, do you have a favorite character Britt do you have a character that that has stayed with you perhaps more than others maybe a, a, a recurring character if not a, a, a series regular
2: I mean I love Josh um,
4: we we've we, we, we've covered that
2: we know this. <laughs> love josh
5: i love zoe um in the first few seasons um yeah i love look i love josh also uh but the thing i found this interesting when i watched it the second time was you know sometimes you watch a show a second time a third time and you start focusing on a different character maybe there was a character that drew a lot of attention the first time around like the first time i watched arrested development i was all about job i was like Will Arnett's the funniest person who's ever lived. And then sure. like the second season, the second time I watched it all the way through, I was like, oh, actually, David Cross might be the funniest <laughs> person ever. When I watched The West Wing the first time through, I was like, oh, man, Team Josh all the way. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. actually I think Toby kind of slowly became perhaps mm-hmm. my favorite character on the show. But I will say instead of – the only episodes that I remember off the top of my head are the really yeah. dramatic episodes
4: two cathedrals sure.
5: Two, two cathedrals the one where josh is having his christmas ptsd flashbacks Noel. with yeah, adam yeah. arkin yeah well those ones like those are the ones that kind of stick out in your memory the one where mark where my favorite character mark Harmon, gets killed sure,
3: sure um
5: sure. crime boy also, i don't know yeah. all that stuff uh <laughs> all, those are the things that stick out but those are probably yeah. not you know my favorite episodes like you well, said like this episode yeah. is a fan favorite mm-hmm. uh you know uh 2 months ago if you had said oh Celestial navigation or even said oh it's the one where they go pick up mendoza i would have been like yeah i kind of remember that but watching they are like well this is great this is exactly what the west wing <laughs> this is exactly what the west wing is they have a phrase that they say 45 times secret plan for uh, to solve inflation uh it's 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 classic it's classic sorkin shit but i will say so i'll take kind of a macro please, angle please, on yeah. this question uh i really like The season six and seven uh, arc with Jimmy Smiths getting convinced to run for president, building his campaign, going on the road, and then becoming president. I really, really like that stuff, and I often say that I think season seven – is basically good enough to be considered with the Sorkin years. Uh, specifically. I, I
4: fully agree with that. Fully agree with that. I, I watched Five, Six, and Seven actually during the election, just apropos of just wanting to watch it again um, and having not seen Five and Six that often. Five is tough. Um, Five's five is
2: tough.
4: a rough one. <laughs> five, five's bumpy. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see myself maybe going back to five again. But six surprised me. I think I clumped them together unfairly. Six has, to your point, a lot of really great stuff in terms of the birth of the Santos character and 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 really kind of um, laying a lot of really great piping for for seven. And I think seven is fantastic. And and I do wish that we got one season of a Santos administration. It would have been mm. interesting to see what that looked like. Um, there were so many great characters that they brought in, and like Eugenio Garofalo. And any number of people that it would have been just phenomenal to see uh that get a shot um but yeah i i agree i mean it's it's interesting over the course of all these episodes you know you have a lot of two cathedrals i mean it is it is obviously a tremendous episode a lot of um uh, in the shadow of two gunmen the two parter at the top of season oh. 2 after josh gets shot which is tremendous um and and is sort of uh I mean, I think it's probably, they're probably my favorite episodes, just because you get to see how everybody came into the administration. The flashbacks
2: and how, in those episodes yeah, are so fun. I mean, so those two fun. episodes are just so well made. It just, yeah. It's just, so, I'm that, like getting goosebumps just thinking. I'm um, getting goosebumps. So I vividly
5: <laughs> remember uh, yeah. my mother, my sister here, and myself uh, sobbing uncontrollably <laughs> oh my God. when Josh gets shot. Uh, and the way did that they, re- know? The way they reveal that stuff, did I not know? Um, you
4: didn't know who got shot when you i
5: might have i honestly might have because i saw that one fresh and that's the end of season one Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i must have started i must i think i maybe i watched maybe seven or eight episodes and then i was going home for winter break and i was like okay brit and mom get caught up and we're gonna (laughs) and we're gonna keep keep going on this but like that one and then is that is is that the one where we meet where we we see um Donna joining the campaign early on cuz i yeah all that stuff is i love best. the flashbacks it's and the, the scene at the airport with when yeah. is it Josh's dad mm-hmm. dies and Bartlett Josh. shows yeah. up at the airport Bartlett oh. shows up. Yeah. And and says, are are these me all me the co- same episode. I come with you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <I'm
2: laughs>
5: with you. all of the best moments of the show are in this one I mean, it's, minute episode. It's
4: a, it's incredible. It's an incredible episode. It's it's. I would. I I've said this before, but I think that season two of the show is a, is a perfect season of television. Uh, it just comes back on itself so perfectly. Yeah. Um. It's just. It's a, a show at the peak of its powers. <sighs> the Mrs. It's,
5: Landingham it's, flashback episode. Boy yeah. Jed. If that's that, I don't that, even want to know cathedrals. yet. That's two cathedrals. That's two cathedrals. They're all this. Man, Just you literally show. love the classic West cla- Show. But I think, great episodes. <laughs> but like I said, those are the ones that have those moments that stick in your head yes, course, for me. Yeah. But, but it's entirely possible that the random mid-season episodes, there are great, I mean, I, there, yes, please, please.
2: I love the big block of cheese episodes.
4: Yes, yes.
5: I uh, love
2: so, those. I love our main characters having the way that they think they think and then being like, you know, annoyed that they have to listen to somebody else and then it cracks their heart open a little bit and we leave them Mm -hmm. in a different place. And we found them. like, they're so simple and lovely and it's always, you know, good comedy in those. Um, And it's nice to see, it's great to see these people who, again, with Josh as an example, like think that they are smart and right always. And then to see like, and that's what every, all of these characters, they all have Mm -hmm. that. Like, that's, I think part of what gets you, you know, to work in the White House, um, but right. then to see them having to listen to other people and have it change their minds is just nice little little moments and reminders that people are people and can hear new opinions.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, oh, it, oh, it, oh, it, it, oh,
5: and uh, um Mary Louise Parker. Yes, of course. Yes. Amy Gardner, the greatest. Yes. Yes. And Marley Matlin yeah, yeah. actually. Uh I think it speaks that, yeah, I think it, it speaks great. to it speaks to Josh's character that he is attracted to all of these uh, terrific women.
4: I would agree. And that, and that they're attracted to him. Does that say something about his character perhaps? (laughs) I mean, it must, it must, it must. Uh, I, 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 two things that I want to speak of. The the first is, uh, what you were talking about with the, uh, big block of cheese stuff. Um, it, it's, it's what you want from politicians, right? That they can be open-minded enough that they can see something and that their minds can be changed about something. Um, the cartographers in, in when they show up and they show them what the earth really looks like, uh, and, and it just blows their minds. Um, and then, and to your point Clay, in terms of Mary Louise Parker, who, uh, Sorkin notoriously tried to sign her as a series regular and did not want to be a series regular on the show. Um, I think it's better that Amy Gardner wasn't a series regular. I love Amy Gardner, and I'm sure I would have loved her as a series regular. But that idea of how, how he understood how to weaponize these supporting recurring characters, right? Like, Joey Lucas is a tremendous character, and she's used perfectly on the show and weaponized perfectly on the show. And this is all to underline, and I have to get your thoughts on this before we wrap up, is Mandy. Um, you know, Mandy is a character that was that existed in season one of this show yeah. and is a perfect example of, you know, a series regular that shouldn't have been a series regular, right? Like a, a role within the administration that didn't need that much screen time and didn't need that much real estate. Um, and it's a lesson that was learned, unfortunately, at the cost of Moira Kelly, who's a great actor, but I I just think there's something to be said for that. Do you guys have thoughts on Mandy? Do you wish that Mandy stuck around? Do you miss Mandy?
2: I don't wish she had stuck around. Um, I'm glad that she didn't. Freed her up to go do One Tree Hill. Um, That's true. That's true. Thank God. (laughs) I think.
5: Wait, is that? I mean, is that where Mandyville is? Is is One Tree? One Tree Hill is is Mandyville. Mandyville? That's that's where it is. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) It is takes place in Mandyville.
2: To think of how she is different than like the other mm-hmm. supporting specifically women that kind of mm-hmm. cycled through and that she kind of at the end of it like you they can't trust her like that's her character differs yeah. in that way whereas these other people that kind of cycled in like especially with um, mary louise parker like mm-hmm. her as a person she was too good to, like, be part of the administration. (laughs) Like, that was, like, her whole argument was that, like, she isn't meant to work in the system. Like, she's meant to fight for what she believes in. And, like, that's kind of what they used as the thing to, like, keep her kind of on the outskirts and to, like, move her through. Whereas Mm -hmm. with Mandy, they gave us that, like, she had the memo floating around that she wanted to, like, work for a conservative. Like, they gave just as a character, the things that they gave her to kind of keep her on the outskirts just are unsavory and not in a fun way.
5: Right.
4: I agree. I think that, you know, there's been, as you can imagine, a fair amount of discussion of Mandy over the course of this, uh, of this podcast. Um, and, you know, a lot of people felt similarly, and a lot of people also felt as though, because she was sort of an antagonist within the administration, she, it, it just, it was, she became annoying. Do you know what I mean? And, and you sensed it in the writers of being like, we want these people to just be unencumbered and to allow themselves to right. just be the most sort of, the, the purest version of themselves. And then at each episode, you've got Mandy being like, eh, being like a narc all the time, being like, you can't do this, you can't do that. Right. Um, and it just <clears throat> it just didn't play well.
5: Because in the macro sense, it is this unit, this family, yeah. going towards one goal against these external <clears throat> forces right. and they can all bicker and get on each other's nerves on a moment-to-moment basis uh which is you get some great of that in this episode mm-hmm. is there's some great scenes and it's this writing and this cast that can have a whole scene where everybody is just bitching at each other and belittling <laughs> each other but it's yes. still it feels warm and you it, you know that the next time they see each other uh, you know except for toby it's going to have dissipated and like reset and i think yeah mandy being in the middle of that and even in this episode you see i mean she's on the out she's in one scene and you're like oh shit mandy uh but she's not part of any of the scenes where everybody's together getting their assignments or anything (laughs) yeah if she is uh yeah like kind of a uh detractors you were saying like within that group it's they just figured out that that chemistry wasn't the way they wanted to write scenes i'm sure that they they would however many episodes went by and they're like ah, oh, we just didn't put mandy in any of these scenes because we just what we have to do with her to Britt's point yes. because of what we've yeah. established her character as is mm-hmm. just not
4: fun working it's a yeah. sour
5: note it's not what we want to play
4: there's there's two things that, that came to mind as you were talking. The first is uh one of my favorite moments in this episode as well is later in the episode, or it might be forgive me, it might be early in the episode when someone's wondering uh how Mendoza got to Connecticut or how <laughs> how he's driving and Sam, and Sam. knows the route. <laughs> yeah. And so he's like, there's something freakish about you, <laughs> which is fantastic. Um but but on the Mandy front, you know, this is also another example of casting, right? Which is, you know, if you you cast Janelle as Donna and it's just, there's an immediate chemistry going on between her and Josh. Um, On some level, Mandy's days are numbered from the first scene that Donna has with Josh, because then the only reason to keep Mandy around is if she has this potential romance with Josh. It's so weird. And then that never manifests. It's so
5: weird to remember, you look at the pilot and they set that thread up and you're like, Ah, that's weird. It's so weird. It's so weird with J- Janelle Maloney. Like, it's another thing. This show truly, and again, you don't really get this anymore. On at least, I don't know. I don't watch a lot of network television. Uh, I don't watch a lot of episodic television anymore. But you certainly don't get this in prestige television, where everything is beat out, everything is figured out before you mm-hmm. ever start shooting. Like, like they they figured out while making the show how much to use Martin Sheen. They figured out like Janelle Maloney. There's is she's not even a a recurring in the first season really she pops up here yeah. here and there mm-hmm. she's a guest star I think is how she's credited
4: mm-hmm. she's a guest mm-hmm. star
5: yeah. uh, and she's not she's not even in the opening credits until is she in season two or season three season two she's
4: in the, two she's so they figure
5: out the Janelle Maloney as they go how much Donna how mm-hmm. what the relationship mm-hmm. is, is with her they figure out that they miscalculated Mandy like oh, you get sure. to watch this stuff grow and I think going through those growing pains and seeing what works and what doesn't. You know, I, I I think that that is, uh, you know, something that leads to oftentimes more potent, more uh, involving, more engaging stories and and television shows that most shows these days don't have the opportunity to do. They, there's kind of a cap on how. How, how well they can work because it is more like developed like a movie. It's just going to be the original idea executed from point A to point B. Whereas if you're, if it's more of a living, breathing organism like television used to be, it creates this, it raises the ceiling for, for how, totally. how great the show can become.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, that the, the evolution you're talking about, so many shows now are kind of made in a vacuum. At least the first season of a show generally sort of exists before it's exposed to the audience. And then they're like, okay, well, now we have feedback and now we're going to do this, this, and this with season two. Um, this show, you know, they probably had three, maybe four episodes in the can before, you know, they started airing them and they start seeing how people are responding to things. I, it should be said though, that John Spencer did suss this out from the pilot. Apparently Janelle Maloney said that um, the first scene she has, uh, Leo walks up to her and says, uh, is Josh there? And she yells over her shoulder, Josh. And he says, I could have done that. Anyway, they do the scene and he turns to Janelle and says, you're going to be here until the like, curtain comes down. Like he just knew just out of the gate that like, this was working and I, and I just feel like Mandy just, it's just unfortunate, right? It happens. This is just television and it's just the, the way that things work. But I, I do think that, um and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Brit on the Josh and Donna relationship because it has, sort of not aged as well as maybe we would like it to. I think that, that there is a, a, an undeniable chemistry between them, but there's a power dynamic at play that is a little bit icky now. Um, what are your feelings on on their relationship?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, like, fun to watch, you know, sure. without dissecting. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's one of those that you, a lot of how this show treats women is something that you don't want to, like,
1: too hard on. <laughs> because then
2: it doesn't feel good you know yeah, it's like sure, and you sure, have sure. to like watch it with that yeah. removed veil but i mean some of the josh and donna stuff is like i mean i wouldn't stop for red lights like some of these the moments best. are just the like best. so perfect yeah. um and it's so lovely, but it also gives room for Josh to, like, go – I mean, it sucks that he, like, then, yes. you know, goes and is dating all these women. And, I mean, it's all very normal. Like, it's not, like, <laughs> yeah. it's about that. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know, it's that missing out on what's right in front of you, but mm-hmm. the power structure is very strange. But also, she has a lot of power over him yes. that, on a you know, they a, don't, yeah. like yeah. – that she she clearly has so much power and has ever since she walked in. And, like, once we see, like, I don't know, she's a lot, I think they don't give her, they don't show a lot of degrees of her character. Mm-hmm. Like, they mm-hmm. show her taking care of Josh and, like, fitting in as one of the women of the office. But, like, mm-hmm. in the flashbacks, like, when she shows up and just, like, takes over and is, like, answering his phone, like, mm-hmm. they don't again it speaks a little bit to like the sexism that lives within our world of that donna didn't get promoted or like they touched a little bit on her trying to be headhunted away from her job and like getting offered a lot of money but like she decided to stay i don't know i think that could have been they could have talked about that and had that play up a lot more um and when she eventually does leave like i'm so glad she leaves um to go like it sucks because it's weird because that like whole timing i don't know it's just a weird part of the series but like it is good that she leaves and works separate from him before they mm-hmm. ultimately get together.
4: Um, I, I think that, you know, it's it's clear that that Sorkin, I think, said it early on, like, that these two were not going to get together during the run of this show. I think that them sticking to that, um, first of all, helps with the will they, won't they? But maybe more importantly, she they don't get together until they're on a level playing field, professionally, or at least close mm-hmm. to being on a level playing field. If they had ever hooked up as assistant, oh, it would have been
2: and, well, and then he would have concern. and
4: then that would have forced sorkin to
5: uh deal with i think some <laughs> yeah. drama within his white house that he had no interest in. That's de- yes, exactly mean, Also, at that time, if you're making a show that is essentially the Clinton <laughs> White House, you're you're not doing you don't that. Want to go there. You're not doing that. <laughs> no. That would have been a no. bad idea. <laughs>
4: Yes. Um, well, guys, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking oh, about thank Navigation. You. This
2: is so much fun.
4: I really, really appreciate it. And uh, uh, Clay, I hope that you'll come back. And Britt, I hope you'll come back. I, don't, I mean, I don't know that, that there's... Actually, wait, we did talk... So the next series that I'm doing, and we'll, we're going to cut this so it doesn't matter, but uh, doing Dawson's Creek next...
2: I just watched through Dawson's Creek for the first time. Did we talk about yeah. this the other day?
4: I think we talked a little bit about okay. it when we went to see Fast Nine. So um, I'd love for you to come on for a for a Dawson's Creek episode if you're open to that. I um, am, and
2: I've got other people that would be interested. If fantastic,
4: because I'm humans. going to need I'm going need I'm going to need humans. Uh, I've for sure. never great. seen I've never
5: seen an episode. Can I watch
4: one out of out of context? Oh, that'd be great. Would you come <laughs> on pick, out of context can I pick and watch which one?
2: episode? He watches.
4: Yes, yeah, completely out of context, knowing nothing about I've
5: it. Never seen the show. It. I can uh, never remember I remember Joshua right. Jackson's name, but uh oh okay. Katie Holmes. Yes. Ka- Ka- Katie Holmes is one of those actor names that I can never remember. It's like her and really? um her and uh and I'm gonna forget You're it really because this is the premise of what it right I'm saying. Now. Uh 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 the guy from Office Space. Oh, Ron Livingston. I can never remember Ron Livingston's <laughs> name. <laughs> Ever. That's incredible. Uh That's Phil amazing. I'd love to yes. do an out of context Dawson's Creek. I also if you mm-hmm. want to talk, if you want to see more CCH Pounder, I mean, The Shield what? is a seminal. That's
4: not a 99,
5: though. Didn't it premiere in 99? Or is it a 2000?
4: I, so. I thought it was well, now 99. I mean, now I'm looking. If it, if The Shield is 99, then I'm fucking in, but I'm almost positive. I thought The like
5: Shield was the year
4: 2002 to 2008. 2002. Fuck. Sorry, That's dude. disappointing. Which,
2: episode, which season of Dawson's Creek is 99?
4: It is the end of two and the top of three. <laughs> See <laughs> that, that that facial response was I don't even know what it was. You're just like, mm-hmm, all right. It was like, is that a
5: it's, is that? A it's good it's part? in
4: the good times. It's at least when it was good. Like well, it, it goes flying off the but rails. Was that?
2: It just there's some I don't. I watched it all in one month, so I don't know what the season. A month are, you watched all of it. I think so. A month or two.
4: Here's what breaks my heart about you watching Dawson's Creek like that, which is that uh-huh. you didn't have the theme song
2: okay it sucked so bad but i did they brought it back for the series finale they paid for it on netflix so oh my God. i and it i did one
5: episode
2: that. it sucks but like lame. i was watching i was watching the finale with um two girlfriends who two of us had never seen the finale before mm-hmm. and one of them was a friend who like watches shows but doesn't watch the finale of them um and so she was watching sure. the finale. And the song came on, and I like flipped out because yeah. I didn't know it was coming, and I knew it was a thing that I had been missing. So I had just kind of like built it up so much, and it's then it the, came on.
4: It's and it's so important. It's, it's anyway, so important. it's crazy to me to not have that. Is just yeah. so so disappointing, Phil. Um, I'm, but I'm Johnson,
5: looking at 1999 television shows. Uh, if you ever do anything about Zabumafu, <laughs> uh I'm your guy. Uh, What's let's see boom-a-foo? what <laughs> Yo, you, you don't, don't know Zabumafu?
2: <laughs> It's about a lemur who
5: leaps. It's two brothers who are... uh, The Crap Brothers. Yeah, the Crap Brothers who are naturalists. And they had a PBS show, and they had a sidekick who was a lemur, who was sometimes a real lemur and sometimes a puppet. I have no idea what you're speaking of. It's like another language. (laughs) Zabumafu. I actually, I liked their show before Zabumafu as well. I was a big Crap Brothers guy. (laughs) Oh, that first season of... I wouldn't want to do a series on this, but I think it would be fascinating to look at the Mm -hmm. first season of Family Guy
1: on an intellectual
5: level, because that was such a weird phenomenon. Now it's like the Family Guy, whatever, but at that time it was wild.
4: I am absolutely going to do an episode on Family Guy. The only shows that I'm doing a series on, I'm going to do a Dawson's Creek I refuse to do Buffy because I don't want to fuck. I'm, I will do a Buffy episode, but I don't want to do a Joss Whedon fucking miniseries. Sure. I'm not interested in doing that. Um, perhaps Ally McBeal. Uh, I might do a couple of those because that was a big show. X-Files, obviously Simpsons. I mean, like there are still a, a fair amount of shows that I want to definitely do at least one episode of, right. because I feel like to not would, would, would be unfair. Um, but yeah, Dawson's Creek is the next mini series. Um, you guys feel free to pick your episodes now while they're up for grabs. Um, but uh but I'll probably start recording those in I don't know September or something like that, maybe October.
5: Uh well I I'm not picking my episode, it sounds like it sounds like
4: Brit is Brit, picking Brit my is episode. picking your
5: episode. Yeah, I'll pick yeah, his
2: episode.
4: <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so so much, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. Good to speak with you.
2: Thanks for having me. Britt, always guys.
4: always a pleasure. <laughs> it's so formal. <laughs> Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like its. We're also on Twitter at podcast like its 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like its 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Jan Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening.